We're still using these things, these little individual cups, which we'll take around to you towards the end after I've just given a talk a lot briefer than I was expecting to do. And there's bread on the top and there's grape juice underneath. Very good for Zoom time when we were shut, shut up. Um, not so good now. Um, now, I know not everybody likes to drink from a common cup with uh, real wine. And we've always respected that. And we do have, and we'll have again, individual cups for those that prefer that. Let me tell you, I've ordered another of these from the Jerusalem shop so that we can go back in due time to using a common cup. And I'll get another plate as well so we can pass it around. But I want to talk about what it's all about. As I say, in detail, I'll probably leave it till next week. But if you've read my letter I sent yesterday, got a few copies here, you'll have some idea. What I'm going to do is go through this paper. Here, look at it. Not all of it. Just want to show you. Okay. On the front, there's a word in Greek. And that word is diatheke. It's put in capital letters there. God's testament. And I want to bring out the points on this bit of paper. And I want you to really ask me if you don't know what I'm talking about. This is what the microphones are there for. Um, just come up, switch them on. Let's, does this one work, for instance? Yes, it does. There you go. <laughs> and there's four around here. So you don't need to just stand up there and... So remember, what we do is say, if you want to say something, we love to hear from you. It has to be relevant, <laughs> and it has to be a question, or a comment, or a testimony. Okay? Related. Now, if you look at this uh, paper, you'll find two bits from the Bible from two different English translations. The ESV, which is the one we always use here, the English Standard Version, fairly modern, and the King James, fairly unmodern like 1611. But I have to say, whatever the merits of this, the King James is right on the bits on here and not that one. 
And what, what's the bits? Well, you can see what they are. I've highlighted them. When Jesus instituted the Last Supper, which is now the communion or agape, he took a cup of wine. Okay? At the Passover, you had to use red wine. It's still obligatory for Jews. This is good stuff, but cheap because it came from Aldi. But it's nice. Now, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body for you. What was that bread? It was the bread in the Passover feast, known as the bread of affliction. And at the end of the session, and this was the night before Jesus died on the cross, Jesus took the cup, known as the cup of blessing, and he said, all of you, drink of it. And he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. But almost certainly the Bible you use, if you read the Bible regularly, won't say that. It'll say, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now, if you look on this bit of paper, you'll see that. On this side, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay? Other side, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And the other thing, if you've been here the last week or two, you'll know we're looking at Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapters 3 and 4 and 5. And it says there that he is, well, on the English Standard Version, a minister of a new covenant, whereas on the other side, a minister of a New Testament. Now, let me tell you, I am not a minister of the New Covenant. But I am a minister of the New Testament. Now, who can tell me what the difference between a covenant and a testament is? You can all jump up and go to these four microphones. Okay. Thank you, Steve. 
You might need to raise it up slightly. We can take it off. But the thing is, I'm trying to make it COVID friendly so that people didn't have to take it off. Okay. A covenant is a two-way agreement, whereas a testament is in one direction only. Yes. And I, I've got a relevant point to make. The English translations that say new covenant, I mean, you all know I like the NIV. In my NIV, it still calls it Old Testament and New Testament when it's in, in the contents pages. Yes. Precisely. Now, I explained why in this letter. If you've not had the letter, I can give you one. This is, I sent it out last night. I'm not going to go over that. I might go over it next week. But if you haven't had the letter, take that. But let me tell you, the difference, well, actually, the difference is found on the back. Now, on the back of this piece of paper, there's a quotation from Adolf Deisman, who is professor of um, New Testament in Berlin before the First World War. He was an incredible scholar, incredible archaeologist, dug up so much stuff, and one of the books he wrote was Licht von Osten, translated as Light from the Ancient East, which I've got at home. Here is what he says about Diatheke, which is translated covenant in most Bibles and testament in the old King James, and hasten to add from the daddy of all Bible translators, William Tyndale. Yes. 16th century. Okay? So, what does he say? There is ample material to back me in the statement that no one in the Mediterranean world in the first century AD would have thought of finding in the word diatheke, which is what Jesus said, this is the new diatheke in my blood. No one would have thought of finding the idea of a covenant. St. Paul did, would not, and in fact did not. St. Paul, to St. Paul the word meant what it meant in the Greek Old Testament, a unilateral enactment. In other words, something that does from one person for the benefit of others or another. In particular, a will or testament. If you draw up your will, you say what you want to do with your goods. And that's what it means. This one point concerns more than the merely superficial question whether we write New Testament or New Covenant on the title page of the, of the Bible. It becomes ultimately, and listen to this, the great question of all religious history, a religion of grace or a religion of works, what you have to do. It involves the alternative was Pauline Christianity, Augustinian, or Pelagian. Augustine, remember, said that everything was by grace. 
Pelagius comes along and says, no, no, you have to do the right thing. Well, let me tell you, doing the right thing is not the gospel. The gospel we proclaim is God's grace, whereby Jesus did it all on the cross. He did not ask for help from his disciples, nor does he ask for help from us. There's a song, many years ago, we had a tape, cassette tape, called Communion. Very good, except this blood is the covenant I'm making with you, it says. That's nonsense. Jesus did not make a covenant with us. He made a testament. His death brought it about that we should be the beneficiaries, the heirs. That's what it's about. That's why the translation is here is so bad and so dangerous. The gospel we preach is a gospel of grace. Everything is by grace. You are forgiven by grace because of the cross. Your sins are taken away by grace. You don't have to do anything. It is not a covenant. Not a covenant. Not a covenant. Let me show you something I've got here. I've got a sweatshirt here. See that? Especially for vicars like me. I just go around to make sure everybody can read it. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. I've got it. Would I wear it only as a joke? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. My job is not to watch how good you are. In any more than it's your job to watch me as how good I am. Because we're sinners. And we're saved. By grace. And what this is all about is Jesus as the testator giving his life that we may become his heirs and benefit from all that he gives. Now, you don't automatically qualify as an heir. But I'm going to leave it there. I'll say next time. But if you want the shortcut, you believe in Jesus as your saviour, then you become an heir.
inheriting all the good things that God has, which is what? Heaven, being in the family of God, and having the Holy Spirit now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, sister. Do you know, I had to change the poster outside because it still had a Christmas one up. What did I pull out? The very thing I'm talking about from 2 Corinthians 3. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, you never know that from most churches. Because most of our Christianity is corrupted by things we think we have to do for God. Well, let me tell you, if you're an heir, an heir of someone's will, you don't have to do anything other than go and claim your inheritance. And when you take this bread and this wine, that's what you're doing. Saying, I believe I am your heir. I have a place in heaven, a place in the family of God. And I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if you've not got those things, ask God for it. There's a lot more I could say. I'm not going to say it this morning. Loads more. Let me tell you, I am not a minister of the new covenant. There is no such thing. I am a minister of the new testament. Telling you the good news. If you believe in Jesus, you get all the benefits that Jesus won for you on the cross. Hallelujah. Is that switched on? It is now. Um, quite often I pray through the armour of God. And we get that piece in the middle of the armour of God where it's talking about uh, the gospel of peace. Um, and a, well, a few years ago it dawned on me how important it was that the peace that is talked about there is all of God and none of me. Um, and I was reflecting back um, on the Good Friday Agreement, where the Good Friday Agreement was wrestled and hammered out between two parties, but keeping it relies upon two parties. And what I realised was, because God does it all, there's nothing depends on me, therefore I can be totally assured. Amen. Whereas if it did depend on me, I know the mess I make of things. Yeah. And therefore, I would destroy the peace. But because it's one way, because it's all of God, I don't destroy the peace because yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. He's just invited me in to the peace that he's made on his terms, but he's invited me into that peace. Thanks, Mike. Fantastic. We all got it. It's God does it all. That's why Professor Dyson says it's the big question of all religious history down through the ages, is it grace whereby God does it all or is it works by which we have to do our bit?
People do not know. And they're not helped by mistranslations like this. Do you know? You receive pardon for your sins through grace alone. By asking Jesus to forgive you. Now, there is a threshold. That threshold is pride. A lot of people want to do things for God. But God doesn't accept it. They want to do their part. But God says, I've done it all. God is not a good person to argue with, but he's a great person to receive gifts from. And let me tell you this morning, if you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You have a place in heaven and a place in the family of God. My job is to tell you that, but you can read it in the Bible. Trouble is, if the Bible doesn't make it clear, then you might not read it, might you? Do you see the difference? Anyone not see the difference? <laughs> and let me just point out one other thing. It says in Hebrews, you can't have a DFA without a death. Now, all the contracts and covenants in the world require death. <laughs> We'd all be gone, wouldn't we? Every time you got married, you die. Every time you bought a house, you die. Um, much, not much of life would continue. That's because the word doesn't mean a contract or a covenant. It means a testament. 